Sri Ramakrishna with the devotees. So we will continue with the portion where we concluded in the last class, where we find that Sri Ramakrishna is relating uh, his conversation with Krishna Kishore. At once Krishna Kishore asked me, why have you cast off the sacred thread? In those days of God vision, I felt as if I were passing through a great storm of Ashwin. The master referred, referred to the great cyclone of 1864 and everything had blown away from me. No trace of my old self was left. I lost all consciousness of the world. I could hardly keep my cloth on my body, not to speak of sacred thread. I said to Krishna Kishore, ah, you will understand if you ever happen to be as intoxicated with God as I was. So as we were indicating in the last class, that in the traditional sannyasa, it has been mentioned that there are two types of sannyasa. One is vividisha and another is vidvat. Vidvat means an adept. So when anyone has a very strong renunciation. The moment the sannyasa mantra is pronounced in his ears by the guru, by an appropriate guru, immediately the realization happens. The mantra, the moment it is heard by the, this, the practitioner who is already an adept, who has a very strong renunciation, so for him, the realization happens just once he hears the mantra. So those sannyasis who are having their very strong renunciation. So for those sannyasis are called the vidvat and vividisha. It's not that, that only those who have that strong renunciation, they alone are qualified for sannyasa, for the life of a renunciate. Even the one who may not have that intense renunciation, but has already realized the transitoriness of the worldly existence and have started appreciating the divine, the spiritual way of life. They're yet to have that strong renunciation. So they also are entitled for sannyasa. They're the aspiring ones. So these, they're called the vividisha. So we will find an interesting thing that 
during the sannyasa for the vividisha, the vows that they take, the rituals which they grow through, they are they speak of our resolution that we are taking some resolution accordingly we will lead a life. So as the renunciation is not that strong, the resolution they take and then they start try to then they start to live the life accordingly as per the resolutions they have taken. But for the Vidvat Sanyasa, those who have that intense renunciation, which has been indicated by Sri Ramakrishna as the storm of Ashwin, just as in the storm, everything is blown away. So the renunciation is like a storm that all their worldly attachments has been blown away. So for them, all the things which a Vividisha Sanyasi takes resolution willingly, for him, it has happened spontaneously. He need not have to renounce them willingly. His renunciation is so intense, just like a cyclone. It has blown away all his attachments. So here we find that the sacred thread, it is a sign of distinction. Is a Brahmin who wears a sacred thread that speaks of the superior class, that speaks of distinction. So when anyone is taking formal formal sannyasa, then there is a vidhi, it's a part of the ritual that where he's supposed to renounce his sacred thread, he offers it to the fire which has been lit, the sacrificial fire which has been lit for the proceedings of the sannyasa ceremony. In that, the sacred thread is offered, sacrificed. They take a resolution and do that. But just see in the life of Ramakrishna, even unknowingly it has happened, spontaneously it has happened. He felt that as if this gives a sense of ego, God cannot be realized with ego. So even before he, he took the resolution of formal sannyasa, the things has happened by himself. His sacred thread, he has thrown away. His cloths has, is to fall off. He couldn't keep that as Sri Ramakrishna much later used to say, Lajja Grina Bhoy Tin Thaktenoy. That shame, hatred, and fear. These are the three emotions. These are the three emotive faculties that are the great cause of bondage. The shame always speaks of either hiding something or it speaks of inordinate. Uh, not inordinate, I will say, is strong awareness of the body. When you have the sense that I am the body, with that the idea of the gender comes. When it, as per the mind, there is no gender. It's only the body which speaks of gender. So all these distinctions of gender, caste, this is bound to fall off when you have a very strong renunciation because all those are attached to our limited self. So we find that for Sri Ramakrishna, they had fallen off automatically as he was a Vidwat Sanyasi. In his life, very interesting, we will find that much later when Sri Ramakrishna has passed away and everywhere the general uh, discussion about Ramakrishna, the general opinion of Ramakrishna was that he came to establish the harmony of religions. When someone asked Holy Mother, that is it 
so that Sri Ramakrishna's advent was to establish the harmony of religions. And Holy Mother told a very significant thing. She told that, that it was something as a part of his life. He never planned that his extreme uh, aspiration to go through all the paths that or, or led him to the uh, to get the realization in all these various denominations of religion, but he never planned it. But if you say that what he came to demonstrate in this in this incarnation, it was renunciation. That he was the king of renunciation. His renunciation was spontaneous. And it really has a very deep significance. Throughout the history of religion, in one side we of course see that no one has practiced all the religions and went to the realization. It's not a matter of mere belief. Yes, there were many who believed that the, all the religions in essence are true. But in the history, you will never find any one spiritual illuminary figure who has practiced religion. And through practice, they go, he went to the mystic realization in each and every path to conclude that all the paths lead to the same goal. There is not a single, you can, you can assert it, just see the history. There's not a single figure you will find who has done that. That's one side. And another thing, which again is very significant in the life of Ramakrishna, which you won't, won't find in the entire spiritual history, is his spontaneous renunciation. See the life of other avatars. They have renounced, formally renounced. They left their hearth and home. Buddha left his wife. Chaitanya Mahaprabhu left his wife. Jesus renounced, formally renounced. For Ramakrishna, the way when the family thought that he has gone mad, he has to be. Uh, he has to be engaged in marriage because the belief was once you get married, then that all these so-called this little uh, peculiarities which you have developed, all these mental uh, aberrations which you have developed, that's the best medicine is get married. So that's why when, they, when uh, everyone was saying that Ramakrishna has gone mad, so his family was insisting that he has to be married. Just give him in, on marriage and then he will be okay. And Ramakrishna never denied. He agreed. He agreed. He himself chose, he himself actually decided, uh, he himself actually indicated who is going to be his wife in the nearby village. They told you go and you will find that it has already been, it, the, my wife has already been chosen for me. If you read the history, uh, this, if you read the biography of Ramakrishna, it's wonderful. And after the wedding, we find there is no worldly relation. This is spontaneous renunciation that Everyone has to renounce formally that to maintain that what is the distance from the worldly attachments. In the life of Ramakrishna, even if the things are near him, he has never denied. Let everything come. That in Bhagavad Gita, we have the idea that be like a lotus leaf in the water. It is floating in the water, but the water cannot trench it, water cannot touch it. If water falls on it, it simply falls off. The leaf is always dry. So if you want to see an example that of spontaneous renunciation, that was in the life of Ramakrishna. 
So this spontaneous renunciation speaks of that Vidhvat Sanyasa. This renunciation was so intense that nothing could touch him. Every this, all the things, and that's the thing he's speaking of, the great storm of Ashwin. The master referred to the great cyclone of 1864. And everything had blown away from me. I did not have to formally renounce. It has been blown away. This tremendous renunciation. No trace of my old self was left. I lost all consciousness of the world. I could hardly keep my cloth on my body, not to speak of the sacred thread. I said to Krishna Kishore, ah, you will understand if you ever happen to be as intoxicated with God as I was. And it actually came to pass. He too passed through a God intoxicated state when he would repeat only the word Om and shut himself up alone in his room. His relatives thought he was actually mad and called in a physician. Ram Kaviraj of Natagor came to see him. Krishna Keshur said to the physician, cure me, sir, of my malady, if you please, but not of my own or love. So as we were indicating in the last class, we ended here that opposite poles look alike. So in this life, you may find that some have developed detachment because of frustration from repeated failures in one's attempt to enjoy the sunset pleasures of life. All his endeavors ended up in failure and there's a frustration resulting in depression and a type of detachment. They also try to cut off from the world as Krishna Kishore cut off himself from the world and naturally, when a human being who is supposed to be social, human being is a social being, when we see is his avoiding social interaction, the very first impression is he must be having some mental issues. Even now you will, it is, you will find that in psychology, they say that, the, I, that the, anyone who is trying to isolate himself speaks of some psychological issues. And that's what the relatives of Krishna Kishore also thought that he must have gone mad. That why he's keeping himself shut. He's staying alone, doesn't want to interact with others. So that is, again, that's what we are saying that opposite poles look alike. So one may develop detachment because of frustration from the repeated failures in one's attempt to enjoy the pleasures of life. And again, another may develop detachment because of one's love for God. Forget about God. In life, we do see that when a person is in mad love with some other, this, uh, with his beloved or her beloved, they forget the world. Their love made them forget the world. They forget the, this, constantly. They're thinking of their beloved. In Our literature is full of that. It's a common thing which we see in life. So there also a detachment has developed, but it is for a different reason. It's not from frustration. The love, intense love for the beloved makes him uh, totally detached from other things, becomes indifferent to all other things. The same thing happens when one is in love with the divine. It's very difficult for others to understand because we can relate only to the things which matches with our feelings. If I don't have the corresponding feeling, 
how can i relate if someone is mad with mad because of god and from in my life i have never experienced that type of madness that for god one can become mad it's beyond our imagination so naturally it's very very obvious that people will think that he has gone mad not because of his madness for god because of his isolation from the society so that's the thing which is being indicated that he has shut himself up alone in his room and that's why his relative thought he has gone mad so as swami vivekananda is to say these opposite poles look alike but they are opposite poles the infrared light i cannot see i cannot see the ultraviolet light i cannot hear the sound in this infrasonic sound i cannot hear the ultrasonic sound they are, but they are poles apart similarly one becoming disinterested with the worldly affairs isolated from the worldly affairs because of love of god and the one who has got disinterested because of extreme frustration they may apparently look alike but they are poles apart and that's what sri ramakrishna is indicating by saying very interestingly that funny that is in a very funny way he is saying that when the doctor came to krishna kishore he understood that why why the doctor has came that because the relatives have called the doctor thinking him mad and so how this in a very funny way how nicely his his remark is cure me sir of my malady if you please but not of my own so means my this malady is because of my love for the divine so that's what speaks of his uh, this reputation of the om so don't just cure me in such a way that i forget my om let that be there after there if you want to keep my uh, get uh, if you have cure me from my malady you cure me that way he is indicating that it is the symptoms of the disease is not actually the symptoms of a depressed person it is actually a disease it is also a disease why it's a disease because you have lost your ease because your aspiration for the divine has made you diseased you have lost your ease but that is a very very sublime disease which can take us beyond all the disease that the divine unrest is the prelude is the prelude of the divine realization as sri ramakrishna used to say that when in your life the yearning has dawned know it for certain it is like the red hue of the dawn the sun is not visible only the red hue is visible but you know by seeing the red hue that in just it's a matter of few moments the sun will be visible so yearning is like that red hue which gives the indication that the divine vision the realization is just waiting for you so this is the opposite pole so don't cure me from that i i want we all want that yearning which can lead us to the to that divine realization so one day i went to see him so it's much later this his uh, relation with krishna kishore he is saying that one day i went to see him means to see krishna kishore and found him in a pensive mood when i asked him about it he said the tax collector was here he threatened to dispose of my 
brass pots, my cups, and my few utensils. If I didn't pay the tax, so I am worried. I said, but why should you worry about it? Let me take away, let them take away your pots and pans. Let them arrest your body even. How will that affect you? For your nature is that of Kha. Kha means the absolute. The space is indicated by Kha. The absolute is form beyond all forms. It is all pervasive. So the absolute is also indicated by Kha. So you are the nature of Kha. He used to say to me that he was the spirit all pervading as the sky. So that's why I am Kha. He had got that idea from the Adhyatma Ramayana. I used to tease him now and then addressing him as Kha. Therefore, I said to him that day with a smile, you are Kha, taxes cannot move you. So this is again very interesting. In our life, there are two things. Sometimes a short of trance we may go through in our, in our aspiration. And we start thinking too much of it. There's a difference in, you know, there's a difference between emotion and feeling. Suddenly in our life, a spiritual, this, that, uh, this uh, strong emotion may develop and make us feel, oh, it must be a very high attainment. But the question is, has it transformed your life? If it, is, if it hasn't transformed your life, it is a mere emotion. It's not a feeling. There's a difference between emotion and feeling. To give through an, with an example, let us try to understand what is emotion and what is feeling. When I see a movie, I may get emotionally involved, but it has nothing to do with my life. I come out of the theater, I know it was a movie. I might have shed tears. I might have laughed along with the this, the, the roles of the, the actors were playing. I might have cried, but that's, it's over there. It has nothing to do with my life. But the persistent emotion of a mother for the child, that fix of transformation. The mother sacrifices a lot. Her life is transformed when she was not the mother. She has... Uh, that person is totally different when she becomes a mother. There's a huge transformation. And that's the feeling. The same emotion, when it is persistent, it speaks of transformation. If it has not transformed your life, that mere emotion has as such no value. In the spiritual, in our spiritual journey, we will find that we make, we make too much fuss about that sudden emotion. But has it really became something permanent in your life? Has become something ingrained? Is it an ingrained feeling? If not, we shouldn't be just too much ecstatic about that sudden, that upsurge of emotions or even some sudden realization. The real test of spiritual evolution is transformation. Just as we told, just the upsurge of the emotion seeing a movie doesn't transform your life. But the same emotive faculty when you find is sustaining by, in the case, like, like if a mother for the child, you'll find there's a transformation. The life has transformed. So here also we find that Krishna Kishore do had 
an upsurge. But did it really, really transform his life? That's a big question because we find that the happenings of life are really disturbing him. He's getting totally disturbed. And that's why Sri Ramakrishna jokingly at that moment is saying, what happened to your idea that you are Kha, that you are getting so much disturbed by the happenings of life? Because in this, in this context, we will say in the life of Sri Ramakrishna, in the life of Sri Ramakrishna, almost a similar incidence is there. And we will find a totally different response in his life. That Ramakrishna's nephew, Riday, he out of that, that again, we will say that, as, that superficial devotion, suddenly the, uh, the owner of the temple garden, Dakshineshwar, Rashmoni's grandson, Trilokyanath, Mathur's son, Trilokyanath. So that's the time when Mathur has passed away, Rashmoni has passed away. Trilokyanath was the, the yeah, what do you say, the uh, one who was the head of the trustee of that the temple property estate. So now he came to visit Dakshineshwar with his family and his small young daughter. She was just moving around the shrine when Rida, Ramakrishna's nephew, was, was doing the ritualistic worship. He was the pujari. He was the priest of the Kali temple then, and he was worshipping. And suddenly he wanted to imitate Ramakrishna. As Ramakrishna, we will find that when he used to do his ritualistic worship, previously when he used to do, he used to see the divine in everything. If the cat has entered just uh, conspicuously it has entered and is about to touch the offerings. Ramakrishna himself used to see the mother and used to give the offering to the cat, seeing the mother in the cat. Riday wanted to do something similar, seeing Trilokyas, the, the manager of the estate, the temple estate, his daughter, seeing the daughter, the young daughter, he just uh, took the sandal paste and the flower from the plate, which was meant for the offering to the mother, to the divine mother. He took that, he smeared one flower with the sandal paste and offered it at the feet of the daughter of Trilokya, the manager of the estate. And that was like some like Kumari Puja, seeing the divine mother in a small girl, seeing a pure small girl, you are just offering the flower. And now when this girl returned, seeing the mark of the sandal paste on his feet, naturally the wife, wife of Trilokya asked that how come there is a mark of sandal paste on your feet? And the girl told that what has happened. And now they were very much scared because they had a belief that Trilokya belonged to a lower class, lower caste. And Riday is a Brahmin. That if a Brahmin uh, worships the feet of a lower caste girl and that girl is bound to become widow when she uh, when she gets married when she's grown and married so they were really very much apprehensive and Trilokya got uh, terribly angry on Rida and he asked the security just go and immediately order him to leave the temple garden now as Rida used to stay with Ramakrishna the security guard confused 
he thought that along with Riday, most probably they have asked Ramakrishna also to leave the garden house. So they went and told that you have our Trilokya, the manager have asked to meet you both to leave the temple garden. So there was no way. Riday had to leave. And Ramakrishna had no preparation. Immediately he took the towel on his shoulder and he started moving out. From a distance, Trilokya saw Ramakrishna is going out of the gate. He came running and told, sir, where are you going? And then Ramakrishna told, you have ordered to go out, so I'm going. No, 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 it's a mistake. It's a confusion. It's not you. Sir, please, please, you go back. And immediately with a smile, he went back. As if nothing has happened. So just see that when you're established in the knowledge, you transcend all the happenings. In the same equanimity with which he was moving out without a question, without anything. The moment he told, no, sir, it is not you. It was a confusion. The secretary has confused. I have never asked you to leave. Uh, please, you please uh, be here. Please go back to your room. And he immediately went back. There was no pensive mood, no agitation, no reaction, nothing. So now you will understand the difference between emotion and feeling. And real upsurge of emotion suddenly may make you feel, oh, that you have so much of spiritual realization as if. But the next question, has it transformed your life? Just the way the mother's life gets transformed, a spiritually illumined soul's life gets transformed, nothing can touch them. They're as if above the happenings of life. The happenings of life goes on. They, do, they never think of changing them. It's not that they use the spiritual power to make everything favorable. The life has its ups and downs. It goes on, but nothing affects them. They're above that. So now you will understand the difference between the emotive feeling and the real this feeling in this immersive feeling which is going to be persistent in your life that speaks of real spiritual transformation so in the krishna kishore's life we find that he did have a spiritual a turbulence there was but it was again a mere emotion it didn't transform his life so that's why indirectly in a joking way sri ramakrishna is joking with him when he has been, he finds him pensive. One day I went to see him and found him in a pensive mood. The one who was mad with the devotion and he was constantly repeating Om. That was for a short time. That emotion passed, passed away. And now in this situation, in a different situation, we find when the real, that his real, uh, that spiritual value was supposed to be demonstrated through his life. There he find he has got affected. He is in a pensive mood. When I asked him about it, he said the tax collector was here. He threatened to dispose of my brass pots, my cups, and my utensils if I didn't pay the tax. So I'm worried. I, I said, but why should you worry about it? Let him take away your pots and pans. Let him arrest your body even. How will that affect you? For your nature is that of Ka. Narendra and others laughed. He used to say to me, that he was a spirit, all-pervading as a sky. He had got that idea from the Adhyatma Ramayana. I used to tease him now and then. So it's not something which is an inner feeling. He got that idea from Adhyatma Ramayana just by reading the book. It is yet to become a realization. So I used to tease him now and then, addressing him as Kha. Therefore, I said to him that day with a smile, you are Kha, taxes cannot move you. 
in that state of God intoxication, I used to speak out my mind to all. I was no respecter of persons, even to men of position. I was not afraid to speak the truth. So that's the thing. When you go to the realization, you go, you transcend all the social norms. As in the Kathopanishad we read, if you remember, there was this wonderful mantra, Yasya Brahma Chakshatrancha Ubhe Bhavata Odana Mrityur Yasya Upasechanam Ka Itha Veda Yatrasaha. What speaking of? That see what binds us as an ordinary human being? Two things binds us the state and the church. The church doesn't mean a particular religion, by church means any form of formal religion. So all the vidhis and nishedas, the commandments, those who are this fearful about God, those who are religious minded, they do follow those dictums in their scriptures, whether it is the commandments or it is the vidhis and nishedas, it's the same thing. We try to direct our life as per those commandments, as per those do's and don'ts. And another thing is, of course, the state. So that's these do's and don'ts indicated by the scripture speaks of the formal religion, the church. And of course, the state is there with all its legal structure, with all its rules, regulations. We are bound to follow that. But one who has went to the realization, he goes beyond the Brahma and Kshatra. Brahma speaks of the Brahmin, the church. Kshatra speaks of Kshatriya, the state. This both has become Odana, has become his food. Even the fear of death has gone. Mrityuryasya upasechanam. The death becomes condiment like a pickle. To add to the taste of the food, you add pickle. So death becomes like a pickle. What a wonderful thing is saying that throughout the spiritual history will find when you go to the realization, the fear falls off. What the, the truth has to be told. Jesus told the truth. He was crucified and his death became the pickle. That death became the pickle. How? The Christianity flourished because of the crucifixion. That became, that's the passion of Christ. That has become the cause of the spread of that religion. In all the religion you will find, persecution has resulted actually in giving strength. You read the uh, just the Baha'i movement, the history of Baha'i movement, the history of the Sufi movement, the, this, the, of course the Christian, even in uh, Hinduism, if you read the life of Chaitanya Mahaprabhu, how opposition, any sort of opposition, when it is faced with that strength, the strength which comes from the spirit, from the realization that nothing can which binds me. I will have to speak the truth because there is no death for me. I am eternal. Who is going to harm me? No one can harm me. The sword cannot kill me. The fire cannot burn me. That's what the Bhagavad Gita says. And that's something they have realized. So what to fear? And nothing can harm me. And they speak the truth. And they, all the fear has fallen off. And that's what Sri Ramakrishna is saying here. In that state of God intoxication. When it is not, when again, relate to those that previous paragraph, when it is just not a mere emotion, that realization has made the thing as a feeling, your life has transformed. 
So you are totally intoxicated with God because of your realization. In that state of God intoxication, you have nothing to fear. I used to speak out my mind to all. I was no respecter of persons. Even to men of position, I was not afraid to speak the truth. And then he speaks few of the incidences in his life. One day, Jatindra, a titled aristocrat of Calcutta, came to the garden of Jadu Malik. I was there too. I asked him, what is the duty of man? Isn't it our duty to think of God? Jatindra replied, we are worldly people. How is it possible for us to achieve liberation? Even King Yudhishthira had to have a vision of hell. This made me very angry. I said to him, what sort of man are you? Of all the incidents of Yudhishthira's life, you remember only his seeing hell. You don't remember his truthfulness, his forbearance, his patience, his discrimination, his dispassion, his devotion to God. So that's what we do. We develop blind spots when we have inordinate attachments for certain things. As I want to lead a worldly life, so Yudhishthira went visited hell. That's the thing only I remember. That all the things that for just for a small slip, slip at a uh, that uh, when in the war that uh, Dronacharya that in his life that was the only uh, lie he has spoken. That when Dronacharya, his uh, guru, his teacher, one who taught him the uh, how this the way of warfare. So he's a, he's a, he's his teacher in all the military arts, in all the art of this uh, warfare. So he was the opponent. There was suddenly a huge roar that the Ashwatthama has died. Ashwatthama was a very, very strong warrior, the son of uh, Dronacharya. So Dronacharya couldn't believe, how can it be true? My son has died. And then he immediately uh, told that though Yudhishthira is in the opponent side, he told, he just shouted back that if Yudhishthira says my son has died, I will believe. Otherwise, I won't believe. And what Yudhishthira did, he also immediately told, shouted that yes, Ashwatthama has died. And then he said silently that Ashwatthama is not your son. It said the name of the elephant that he told whisperingly. And when he was saying whisperingly, the all the soldiers of Yudhishthira's side, the Pandava side, they started playing drums and cymbals. So that's a whispering sound still got drowned. So that Dronacharya only heard that yes, it has been confirmed by Yudhishthira, who is the incarnator of truthfulness, that his son has died. And that made him despondent. He left his bows and arrows, and it was very easy to defeat him. So that was the trick which was played, where Yudhishthira spoke the lie. It's not fully lie. He told the truth, but he has manipulated it. He has whispered that second portion, that Ashwatthamahata iti gaja. That Ashwatthama is not your son, which we are speaking of. It's the elephant. That Iti Gaja was spoken very silently. That was the only sin he did. And for that, for a very short time, he had to go through the hell to heaven.
they say that whatever if uh, this among the good and bad whatever fund is lesser if you have uh, a very less amount of goodness done in your life the fund of evil is more first you will enjoy the the pleasures of the good deeds and then you will have to go uh, 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 through the torments of all for all the bad deeds and just the contrary if you have done something good uh, something bad uh, very a fraction is very small and if you have done lot of good the first you experience that uh, the result of that badness for a little and then you exp- experience the heaven so that's why for yudhishthira first he goes to hell and then of course he goes to heaven and now this man the titled aristocrat of calcutta he now has made it uh, his justification that even yudhishthira he had to go to hell what to speak of us so why to think of all this religious life so see yudhishthira after leading such a good life he also had to go to the hell and this made ramakrishna really mad he was angry he said to him what sort of man are you of all the incidents of yudhishthira's life you remember only his seeing hell you don't remember his truthfulness his forbearance his patience his discrimination his dispassion his devotion to god i was about to say more things when hridaya stopped my mouth after a little while jatindra left the place saying he had some other business to attend to so what's the thing that he is an aristocrat of calcutta that someone retorting back was something unthinkable that just the way suppose you are meeting a a, a highly influential person at that time you do uh, sometimes just even if he's speaking something uh, which you don't agree you just out of respect or out of reverence or out of fear you keep silent but just in the life of ramakrishna we find it's not only one incident in many such incidents will happen which he himself will relate that speaks of that tremendous boldness that whatever he found to be the truth he immediately speaks so that's the one of the incidents which he is indicating and then many days later i went with captain to see raja shourindra tagore raja is a title conferred on shourindra by the government of india the word raja really means ruler of a kingdom so now in the british time so what uh, when some citizens did something which pleased the british government so they will give him the title raja the raja means the king he is not really the king it this raja actually is a title given by the british government to those who ha- who were favorable to their ways of ruling the indian kingdom so actually it was just the contrary means they were the betrayer of their own people so but all all is to fear them because after all they are aligned to the one who are ruling the country so though people had no respect for them but at the same time there was a fear so they would will never speak something in front of them which may displease them so now just see what sri ramakrishna is uh, doing as soon as i met him i said i cannot address you as raja or by any such title for i should be telling a lie so that's the what uh, sri ramakrishna immediately he says that i cannot call you raja that will be a lie you are not a raja you are not a king so he talked to me in for a few minutes but even so our conversation was interrupted 
by the frequent visit of Europeans and others. A man of Rajasic temperament, Sourindra was naturally busy with many things. Jatindra, his elder brother, had been told of my coming, but he sent word that he had a pain in his throat and couldn't go out. One day in that state of divine intoxication, I went, went through the bathing ghat on the Ganges at Varanagar. There I saw Jaya Mukherjee repeating the name of God, but his mind was on something else. Here this speaks of some supernatural power of Ramakrishna. He could read the mind as if scan the mind. And just see that he can read the mind and immediately he's again that as he is not afraid of anything, what he did, I went up and slapped him twice on the cheeks. So as he was as if repeating the name of God, but his mind was somewhere else, he immediately went and slapped him. At one time, Rani Rashmani was staying in the temple garden. The, means the owner of the, the one who has founded the temple garden, Rani Rashmani, she herself was in the temple garden. She came to the shrine of the Divine Mother as she frequently did when I worshipped Kali and asked me to sing a song or two. On this occasion, while I was singing, I noticed she was shorting the flowers for worship absent-mindedly. At once I slapped her on the cheeks. She became quite embarrassed and sat there with folded hands. Alarmed at this state of mind myself, I said to my cousin Haladhari, just see my nature. How can I get rid of it? After praying to the Divine Mother for some time with great yearning, I was able to shake off this habit. But these words are very, just as if he's relating his life, but it speaks a lot of the spiritual implications are there. You know, this reading of the mind, this two incident for the, for, for the first person that is, uh, 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 his name, this Jai Mukherjee, Jai Mukherjee. Here he was repeating the name of God, but Sri Ramakrishna could read his mind. In case of Rani Rashmani, he saw that he was absentmindedly just fondling the flower, shorting the flowers. From that, he immediately understood the state of his mind. And in both the case, he actually slapped them. And they realized, after all, they realized that, yes, they were absent-minded. So they never uh, were angry. They never reacted. They actually became, they were humbled by that. What it speaks of in Yoga Sutra, this reading of the mind, that's a supernatural power, the vibhuti, which has been described, but how is it possible? Say in Yoga Sutra, in the third chapter, the 19th Sutra speaks of that, how that reading of others' mind is possible. The Sutra is Pratyayasya Parachitta Gyanam. By making Samyama on Pratyay, by concentrating on Pratyay, one can attain the knowledge of others' mind. Now, what is this Pratyaya? Now, this, about this Pratyaya, many commentators have described it in a different, in various ways. So some of the commentators have described it as the bodily signs. Just like when I am, uh, say, suppose I'm having some anguish, I am worried. So my face will somehow show that, reflect that. When you are happy, 
your face will show that. So that pratyaya means all those physical indications, which somehow reflects the state of your mind. That can be one of the meaning. meaning. So in the second case where Rani Rashmani was fondling with the flyer flowers, that did show some bodily indications. But here, the entire thing Ramakrishna is not indicating. In some other place, Ramakrishna indicated, actually, while slapping Rani Rashmani, he, he even told what she was thinking, that she was thinking of some lawsuit. So how that is possible? Just by seeing someone fondling flowers, you can understand she was absent-minded. But to say the exact thought which he was thinking, that she was thinking of some lawsuit. She was having some lawsuit and she was just thinking of that. That's Sri Ramakrishna exactly told. How is it possible? So in another interpretation of Pratyaya is that when you can, instead of uh, trying to think of others thought, when you try to do concentration, when you try to do Samyama on your own mind, so that your mind becomes totally vacant. There's no thought. Then the thought which comes to your mind is the thought of the one who is in your vicinity. So that's the meaning of Pratyaya. When you're, instead of doing Samyama on the others, you are doing Samyama on your own mind. It's just, it's, sometimes we find, how is it possible? It is possible. Nowadays you will find that it is possible to when in the computer, to share the screen of others, to uh, f- uh, just, uh, what you say that uh, you can uh, enter as if into the other's computer and get all the data from there. These scams are now, uh, is going on everywhere. So this shows that as in the internet is non-local, the mind is non-local. Because of the noise of our own mind, we can never read others' mind. If you can stop the noise of your own mind, then easily the other's mind can be read. So, so even Swami Vivekananda in his conversation with, the, with his disciple, Sharachandra Chakravarti, he is indicating in one place that when one can make one's mind vacant, the thought that arises in such vacant mind is the thought of the person in his or her vicinity. Now here's Sri Ramakrishna's life. One thing is interesting that all these vibhutis are coming naturally. It is not that he is practicing samyama to find out the other's thought. Through his spiritual practice, his mind has naturally become tranquil. There is no such thoughts, evil thoughts. And suddenly if some evil thought comes, it's very easy for him to find out whose thought it is as his own mind is very tranquil. He can easily find out the thoughts of other. It's not by really practicing that vibhuti. When you start progressing in spiritual life, these vibhutis come by themselves. Many get lured by them and that sidetracks them. But if you take it as a milestone and don't give too much importance to it, that yes, in my spiritual journey, to a certain extent, I have controlled my mind. That's why all these are happening. But this is not my aim then only you can still progress in spiritual life. So in Ramakrishna's life, he has already achieved the goal. His mind was always tranquil. So to have all these vibhutis was quite natural. He never practiced for it. They came as a side product. It came. And that's how he's finding out the 
thoughts of others and as he is beyond all fear he is reacting very strongly that don't be hypocrite in the name of religion you are posing as if you are listening to a devotional song you are uh, repeating the name of god but actually you are doing something so it's a hypocrisy so he is reacting very strongly but then again he is praying to divine mother please allow me to get rid of this now this is very interesting why that why he is asking if he has no fear then why he wants to get rid of this state of mind that when uh, what you say that uh, as sri ramakrishna is saying alarmed at this state of my mind myself i said to my cousin haladari just see my nature how can i get rid of it now here again it speaks of compassion just the way by seeing the many frivolities of the child the mother has a patience she knows that these are quite natural for the child it will take time as he grows through the experience of life they will fall off i have to be patient not that at each and every step i have to scold and i have to admonish them for all the things they are doing so it is not out of fear it is out of compassion it is out of the this uh, what you say there's uh, the sense of responsibility that being an avatar he is there to help out mankind so out of compassion so he has to be more considerate that this all these uh, frailties are quite natural so it's though uh, uh, means as if it seems that there is a type of hypocrisy but that's quite okay we have to outgrow them gradually so for that we need not vehemently react to this what you say that as per the situation is concerned so you have to be considerate so that's why he is praying so that uh, after praying to the divine mother for some time with great yearning i was able to shake off this habit because out of compassion he has to play certain role as an avatar with that responsibility he cannot be so uh, that strongly admonishing for this frailties of the human kind when one gets into such a state of mind one doesn't enjoy any conversation but that about god i used to weep when i heard people talk about worldly matters so this again speaks of the extreme sensitivity in our scriptures they say an interesting thing that as you evolve spiritually the things which were quite okay for you now you become too sensitive you cannot bear with them and they give a very nice example if a sand particle falls on your skin you sometimes even don't feel it but the same sand particle if it falls on your eyeball what a tremendous intense irritation it creates so similar is the sensitivity of a spiritually illumined soul they just react just the way the eyeball reacts so that's why <clears throat> when their mind is extremely pure even a little worldly talk can create extreme pain and that's why they cannot bear it so when one gets to that state of mind one doesn't enjoy any conversation but that of god i used to weep when i heard people talk about worldly matters when i accompanied mathur babu on a pilgrimage we spent a few days in banaras at raja babu's house one day i was seated in the drawing room 
with Mathur Babu, Raja Babu and others, hearing them talk about various worldly things such as their business losses and so forth. I wept bitterly and said to the Divine Mother, Mother, where have you brought me? I was much better off in the temple garden at Dakshineshwar. Here I am in a place where I must hear about women and gold. But at Dakshineshwar, I could avoid it. Just he came to Kashi, Varanasi, knowing it to be a place of pilgrimage, a holy place. And with all those intentions, he came there and he's hearing about his worldly talks. And that makes him weep bitterly. It's so painful to him. As in Bhagavad Gita, it's mentioned, Ya Nisha Sarva Bhutanang Tasyang Jagarti Sangyami. That what is night for the entire creation? Ya Nisha Sarva Bhutanang. For all the beings, what is night? That is day for the one who is Sangyami. A spiritual, a spiritually illumined soul, for him the renunciation is natural. So he's a Sangyami, one who is uh, restrained. So for, for a one who is restrained, for a re- real renunciate, for a spiritually illumined soul, that is day, what is night for the entire creation. And what is the day for the entire creation? There, the realized soul is sleeping. It is night for him. What it speaks of is all these sensed pleasures, the worldly ways of living that has become night as if he has no sensation about them and the things which the worldly people cherish so much, that is night for him. And what he cherishes, we don't have an inkling of that. And now that gives us the idea that what made Ramakrishna to suffer so much when he hears the worldly discussions going on. It is just like a fish out of waters. It's just his condition is like a fish out of waters. So the master asks the devotees, especially Narendra, to rest a while and he himself lay down on the smaller couch. Late in the afternoon, Narendra sang Rakhal Latu, a young disciple of master who later became a monk under the name of Swami Adbhutananda, Aim, Hajra, and Priya, Narendra's Brahma friend, were present. The singing was accompanied by the drum. When the music was over, Sri Ramakrishna held Narendra in his arms a long time and said, you have made us so happy today. The floodgate of the master's heart was opened so wide that night that he could, not, that he could hardly contain himself for joy. It was eight o'clock in the evening. Near the east door of his room, Narendra and other devotees were gossiping. Narendra, how do you find the young men nowadays? M, they are not bad, but they don't receive any religious instruction. Narendra, but from my experience, I feel they are going to the dogs. They smoke cigarettes, indulge in frivolous talk, enjoy foppishness, play tront and do everything of that sort. I've even seen them visiting questionable places. M, I didn't notice such things during our student days. Narendra, perhaps you don't mix with the students intimately. I have even seen them talking with people of immoral character. Perhaps they're on terms of intimacy with them. M, it is strange indeed. Narendra, 
i know that many of them form bad habits i would be it would be proper if the guardians of the boys and the authorities kept their eyes on these matters they were talking thus when sri ramakrishna came to them and asked with a smile well what are you talking about narendra i have been asking him about the boys in the school the conduct of the students nowadays isn't all that it should be the master became grave and said to him rather seriously this kind of conversation is not good it isn't desirable to indulge in any talk but talk of god you are their senior and you are intelligent you should not have encouraged them to talk about such matters just see this ramakrishna's dakshineshwar he himself talks nothing but god and he's so so this cautious just like a, this like the compassionate father is protecting the child not allowing them to slide off the the religious path for which they are aspiring is guiding them and this word also has a very interesting spiritual intonation that in yoga sutra patanjali yoga sutra we studied a sutra maitri karuna mudita upekshana sukha dukha punya apunya vishayana bhavanat chitta prasadanam that in our day to day life we should have four type of attitudes in four types of situations when you see the happiness of others relate through friendship never have in have a sense of jealousy or envy when you see anyone in suffering have a sense of compassion don't have that cruel feeling oh tit for tat he deserves that mudita whenever you see anything holy relate through respect don't feel that there must be some hypocrisy in it because that way we will be polluting our own mind and upeksha this is the thing which is important when you see unholy things apunya don't hate don't go on gossiping about it what you have to do upeksha be indifferent because when i see unholy things and i uh, relate it the first thing which i am doing is i am polluting my own mind that's why holy mother's last words are very significant he used to say never see others fault if you have to see fault see your own faults try to make the whole world your own no one is a, a foreigner everyone is your own these words of mother are very important we easily relate to the others fault but the mother loves the child so much that she will be overlooking the child's fault so many times it happens the child is sometimes pampered mother never even uh, notices the faults of the child why the love makes her to be indifferent to all those shortcomings so if we really have love for others if we are considerate for compassionate towards others we can easily overlook the shortcomings we can build in strength overlook the weaknesses that's the way we that we can transform ourselves as well as transform others so always in the name of in the religion that that's the first thing that happens when i profess to be religious the biggest uh, fault the the first uh, the very first mistake which we do 
that we develop a holier-than-thou attitude. That I am such a holy person and just see all what I'm doing. And that's what is being indicated in the conversation of Narendra with the M. That what the, that world is going to ruts. That you as a teacher should try to mend them. So that speaks of this, the holier-than-thou attitude is developing. Where the ego is being pampered. So in spiritual life, we have to be indifferent to all the shortcomings. That as if I haven't seen them. It's so that it doesn't create any samskara, any impression in my mind. That's why Swami Vivekananda used to say that if you see fault in others, repent. That you still see because your mind is impure. That's why you see the fault in others. He used to give a very nice example. He used to say that suppose there is a lump of gold, a gold brick lying in a table and a small child is crawling nearby. Someone is a uh, uh, someone comes uh, from outside and just picks up the, 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 the block of gold and runs away. The child won't react. It even won't know that something has been stolen because there is no thief in his mind. The child is innocent. As there is no thief in his mind, he, he, he doesn't have the idea that it has been stolen. So when I feel that something has been stolen, means there's thief in my mind, the idea of stealing is in my mind that speaks of the impurity. So when I relate to the impurities of the world, that speaks, my world is, my own mind is impure. You find it happening in our day-to-day life. Just, you want to buy a model of car and suddenly you will find that's the throat that in the road that car is roaming about. So where your mind is, that becomes your world. So try, we should always try to be indifferent, shouldn't hate, we shouldn't uh, uh, discuss or hate about those things. Just be indifferent as if I have not seen it, seen it. And even if I have seen it, there is no emotional reaction to it. Just the way when I'm passing through the street, the one who crosses me, a stranger, neither I have love nor hatred. That's the indifference. So that way, the so many things is passing through my life. I in no way react to them through my emotions. That's the best way not to develop the, not to accrue the impurities which uh, we are bound to see in this world when we are interacting with it. That's the way we can avoid. And that's why Sri Ramakrishna is so cautious, like a father protecting the child immediately wants, seeing this little transgression immediately warns that this kind of conversation is not good. It isn't desirable to indulge in any talk, but talk of God. You are the senior and you're intelligent. You should not have encouraged them to talk about such matters. With this, we stop our discussion today. We'll continue uh, with uh, Sri Ramakrishna's uh, conversation again in the next class. Thank you all. Namaskars.